as, as we've looked into Habakkuk thus far, we, we, we started out with the, with the worrying prophets. You know, we had Habakkuk there, and he was worrying. He was worrying about the sin in the world around him. Uh, he was worried about the, the nation that he loved was kind of spiraling out of control with evil and wickedness. And, 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 it, and, he, and he was worried because he didn't feel like God was doing anything. He, he, didn't feel like, he didn't feel like God was dealing with the sin of the nation. He didn't feel like God was dealing with the wickedness in this world. And he felt like everything was kind of going unchecked. And, uh, and we, can, we can understand that feeling, right? We've, we've felt that way before, where we feel like sin is just not in check and, and God, for some reason, not, not stamping it down, dealing with it. And that's how Habakkuk felt. And then so God then tells Habakkuk, well, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something so incredible, and, and, and it's so incredible about Habakkuk that even, even though I'm going to tell you what it is, it's going to shock you. And that's when God proceeds to tell Habakkuk that he's going to use the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, to, to judge his own people. And, and so then, then Habakkuk had a whole other problem. It's like, I, I don't understand, God. Why would you use the Babylonians, the most wicked people on the face of the earth, why would you use them to judge us? Our sins aren't as bad as their sins. So that's now Habakkuk's got that problem. And so we, we left Habakkuk last week. Uh, Habakkuk basically said, you know, I'm going to stand on a, a watch for the city, and I'm, I'm going to wait to see what God's got to say to me about this. And so I love what takes place in the rest of chapter 2 because in the rest of chapter 2, we, two things happen. One, um, we see God giving five woes pronounced particularly on the Babylonians. And then there's three assurances for his own people. So Habakkuk has been waiting. He's like, God, I don't understand. You're, you're going you're gonna to judge us with the Babylonians. They're so wicked. They're so evil. You know, basically, God, how can you do this? And so now God's going to begin to unfold to Habakkuk what his plan is. And in doing so, he is going to show clearly to Habakkuk that he is going to deal with the Babylonians. But before he deals with them, he's going to use them. And so that's what we see in this passage. So if you're in chapter 2, we want to look down uh, to verse 6. It says, Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Now, a, a woe in the Scripture, whenever you see the word woe, it's, it's an impassioned expression of grief or despair. In other words, bad news is about to follow. That's what a woe is. Whenever there's a woe, there's bad news coming. And, uh, or at least usually it's bad news. Very, very few times used for good news. It's usually a, a, a grief or despair, some kind of expression of, of just utter d dismay. And so God begins to pronounce some woes. And notice the first woe is woe to him that increaseth that which is not his selfish ambition taking increasing yourself by things that don't belong to you that's what the babylonians were famous for they were enlarging their kingdom constantly by taking over all the nations around them they just kept conquering nation after nation after nation and they were enlarging themselves enlarging their kingdom and they would stop at nothing to do it. The Babylonians were brutal 
brutal warriors. They were brutal people. And they would let nothing get in the way of conquering other people to enlarge their kingdom. Well, God says, woe unto you. Woe unto you, Babylon. See, folks, God wasn't going to let that go unchecked and undealt with. And we can turn over into the book of Daniel, and we can see the very night that God dealt with Babylon for this very issue, Daniel chapter 5. And I love, I love in, our, in our scriptures how, how books tie to other books. And, 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 and so we get the woe here in, in, in the book of Habakkuk, and we get the dealing with Babylon in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 18, notice what it says. It says, O thou king, the most high, God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and a majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he would have kept, he kept alive and whom he would set up and whom he would put down. Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty ruler. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, it was, uh, he was disposed, deposed excuse me, from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was made like the wild asses. They fed him with the grass like the oxen, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed over it whomever, whomsoever he willeth. So, okay, so get the story now. we got Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful, mighty ruler, who, who God has dealt with. He has humbled to the point of making him like an animal living in the field. And then he finally comes to his senses and recognizes the one true God. Now we're dealing with his son. And notice what it says in verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, Hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. What does the prophet say? He says, he says, you witnessed all of this. You saw what happened to your father, how God forcibly humbled him and made him to live like an animal, and yet you have not softened your heart to the Lord. That's what he says in verse 23. But hast lifted thyself up against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and that the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose all are all thy ways thou hast not glorified. That is a powerful verse, folks. Because notice what he says. He says, you have put all your glory, all your praise, all your might into wood and gold and silver and this and that and things that don't even speak or hear. But the God who controls your breath, you've not given any honor to. That's powerful. That's powerful. And then skip down to verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. See, folks, God was going to use the Babylonians to judge his people. But he did not forget the fact that the Babylonians needed to be dealt with. And he was going to deal with them very, very strongly. But before we, 
before we look at the Babylonians and say, man, that was some terrible group of people, let us be careful before we cast stones, before we've looked in the mirror ourselves. Because I find in society today, there's a lot of people that are driven with selfish ambition. Listen, folks, there's a lot of preachers preaching in pulpits in America today that are driven by selfish ambition. They want to make a name for themselves. They're not there to draw people to the Lord. They're there to draw the praise of men upon themselves all across this country. But it's not just in the pulpits, folks. It's people sitting in the pews, too. We can, we can be, find ourselves being driven by selfish ambition. The power in this world and the toys that are in this world, and we can be driven to them. The problem is, God tells us in Matthew 6.33, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, the problem with the Babylonians and the problem with many of us today is we get things out of order. We don't seek first the kingdom of God. We seek all the other things first, and then if I have a little bit of time left, God, you get that. That's what... Is that my phone? Wow. Okay. I even made sure it was on silent, but apparently it wasn't. So we'll fix that. So... Okay, I guess it wasn't. Anyway, we, uh, we don't get it in the right order, folks. We, we, we seek after the toys of this world. Toys, by the way, that are fleeting, folks. I brought Brother Vern a picture of my first car the other day, a couple Sundays ago. I loved that car. I loved that car. I loved that car too much, folks, I'll be honest. That car was beautiful. They don't make them like that anymore. But you know, folks, that car is rotten in a junkyard somewhere today. It's probably already been melted down. It's probably another car somewhere. But it's not anywhere in this world. It hasn't survived. But you know, as a teenager, there were times that car was, it consumed my life. It consumed my, and listen, there's nothing wrong with, with liking nice cars. I love nice cars. But if it consumes you, you're not seeking first God's kingdom. And so you have, to, you have to be careful. So the first woe, the woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Let's go down to verse 9. It says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetous to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of, of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Now, what is he saying there? He is saying that it is a woe pronounced to him that coveteth, but coveteth what? Coveteth to, to, to so secure your own home that you have like protected it like a nest up in a tree where it's protected all around so nothing can come in and, and take it over. In other words, you, you, have, you, have, you have raised yourself up to this level and, and have become so covetous that you brought shame on your own house. And he says, and, and, and he gives us some... some, some uh, a look here where it's actually uh, like the stones crying out in other passages. He talks about basically the house itself speaks against you. 
You have, you have so built up, you've coveted things. You've been greedy of things. And, and the greediness, the level of greediness in your life has brought shame to the same house you were trying to protect because you were so greedy. That's what he's talking about in this passage. And that's how the Babylonians were. And so God is, God is basically, <laughs> point by point, just picking the Babylonians apart here. Because, because Habakkuk was saying, Lord, what are you doing? What about the Babylonians? And so God says, you know what I'm going to tell you about the Babylonians? Here's one woe. Here's a second woe on the Babylonians. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. You know, there's a very humbling verse in Mark. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That's a challenging verse, folks. That verse very quickly shows us where we need to live. We need to live more worried about our soul than the things around our soul, than the things of this world. Listen, we spend so much time and energy worrying about the things of this world I think of thing after thing after thing in my life over the years from the time I was a teenager to the time I live now. And, 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 and things that I thought would bring joy, things that I thought would bring happiness, and they're all gone, folks. They're not there anymore because they weren't lasting. But, but we think they're going to do this. So we try to, we try to lift them up and protect them and, and, and grab onto them and have them for ourselves. We covet them. We want them. And they don't bring the joy that we thought they would be. And that's what the Babylonians were guilty of. So, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Woe to him that coveteth. And then number three, woe to him that builds with blood and establishes by iniquity. Notice what it says in verse 12. It says, woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now we're going to come back and pick up verse 14 in a few minutes. But notice what it says. It talks about building a city, building a nation, by blood and violence. That's what he's talking about, which is what Babylon was known for. They were merciless. And he says that they, they, they built this city by the blood of other people. Babylon of its time was an architectural wonder, folks. I mean, Babylon was an absolutely incredible city to behold. But do you know where it is today? It's gone. Matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that nothing will ever be built on its spot. That's how harshly God dealt with Babylon. Babylon's gone. It was a wonder of its day. 
It was the greatest city that could ever be built because it was built on the backs of the blood of slave labor to build it. And it was a marvel, but it's gone today. Notice what he says. He says that the people shall labor in fire and weary themselves for vanity. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that the great Babylon, the architectural wonder of its day, would be destroyed by fire and would be vain. What is vain? Worthless. Empty. It would be empty. Well, again, Scripture speaks to Scripture. Slide back to Jeremiah chapter 50. In Jeremiah chapter 50, and starting in verse 1, we see this. It says, The word of the Lord spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare ye among the nations, and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. And then skip down to verse 17. Verse 17, it says this, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon hath broken his bones. So he's going back and forth in this passage. He's talking about Babylon first, how it's going to be destroyed, and then he talks about the fact that Israel has been scattered. Why? Because of the Babylonians. So the same story we have going on here in Habakkuk. And notice what he says, Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation. He shall feed on Carmel and Basham, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in, in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Boy, what a beautiful passage. you got Habakkuk here pleading with God, God, I don't understand. You're going to use these wicked, wicked Babylonians to judge our sins. And God says there's coming a day when Babylon is going to be destroyed and they're going to look for the sins of Judah and the sins are not going to be able to be found because I have forgiven them. Because I've forgiven them. And then slip down just a, a, a few verses later in that, same, in that same chapter to verse 32. It says, And the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. And I will kindle, what does he say? Notice, a fire. I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast, and they refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. Oh, what a beautiful phrase. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. He thoroughly plead their cause that He may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword is upon the Chaldeans, saith the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, upon her wise men. A sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses, and upon their chariots, and upon the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. 
for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. What a fantastic passage of Scripture. God says, I've got Israel who has been oppressed by these nations. They've been oppressed by Assyria. They've been oppressed by Babylon. And Habakkuk, you're asking me what I'm going to do, and I'm telling you right now, Babylon is going to be destroyed by fire. And I am going to discomfort the entire nation and everything that they seek their power in, their horses and their chariots and their swords are all going to become nothing. Why? Because our Redeemer is strong. That's why, folks. Because God is in control. Listen, folks, I don't like what's happening in this nation right now any more than any of you do. But God is on the throne today, folks. He is in control. And I don't like what's happening. I don't like why evil is being allowed to to just flourish right now. But what I have to trust is that my God is on the throne and He is doing something. I just don't know what it is. And it's just like Habakkuk. I have to trust my God when he says to me, I'm going to do something that's so incredible, you have no idea, Habakkuk. You can't, if I tell you the very words, they will shock you, Habakkuk. And I have to believe that's what our God is doing today. Folks, he's still on the throne. And Habakkuk was finally getting a view from God about what was going to happen to Babylon. And it wasn't going to be pretty. God was going to judge Babylon for her sins. Woe number four. Woe number four, verse 15. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and makest him drunken also. That thou mayest look upon their naked on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned against thee, and shameful spewing shall be on, on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoils of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell therein. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, two things in this passage. It, it's woe to the man who gives his neighbor strong drink and makes him drunken. And then that drunkenness in verse 16 is accompanied by nakedness. See, folks, throughout Scripture, there is always a connection between drunkenness and immorality. Always. There's always a connection. Drunkenness breeds immorality. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 19 and see the daughters of Lot after, after God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the daughters of Lot, uh, you know, they, they, they talked among themselves and they decided that they needed to help replenish the earth because Sodom and Gomorrah had just been destroyed, right? And so what did they decide to do? They decided to make their dad drunk and then lie with their own dad. One daughter one night and the next daughter the next night. And so God says, woe to him who gives his neighbor strong drink. And woe to him that works in violence. You know, it's interesting in verse 17, notice what violence he's talking about. 
He's talking about, for the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of the beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood. He talks about three different violences here. He talks about the violence of shedding man's blood, but then he talks about violence against the forest of Lebanon, about the misuse of things, and the abuse of animals, the spoil of the beasts. See, folks, that's why I've always said, listen, I, I, believe me, you know me, I'm not a tree hugger. But should Christians be responsible individuals in the world in which we live? Absolutely we should. Absolutely we should. Should Christians be kind and gracious to animals? Well, you all know I love my dog, so yes, absolutely oh, we should. We should. Now, does that mean we can't touch an animal for food? Absolutely not. Because remember, when God established the hierarchy, God put man higher. He gave man dominion over the animal kingdom. But what it does mean, folks, is I ought to deal with that in a respectful way. My dominion. My dominion brings with it responsibility. So I don't waste God's resources. I don't. So me, I love to fish. I love to fish, but I don't eat fish. So I don't just kill fish for the sake of killing them. I catch them and throw them right back in because I don't eat fish. I don't like fish. Now, if you catch fish and like to eat fish, by all means, catch fish and like to eat them. We have dominion over the animals. But we need to be responsible, folks. And so I, I think we need to be careful that we don't, we don't, we don't get mixed up between putting animals at a higher level than humans and, and putting trees and things at a higher level than the humans, like a lot of people in this world do. Have you ever considered the fact that I think it's about a $100,000 fine if you break a sea turtle's egg before it hatches? But you can kill a baby in the womb and there's no fine for that. God help us, folks. I, I, think it, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's, I believe it's a $250,000 fine if you break an eagle's egg. But we kill babies in the womb all the time. There's no fine for that. See, folks, that's where it gets out of the order God put it in. God gave us an order. And, and the order is we need to be responsible and treat things responsibly, but we do have dominion over the things in this earth. So, woe to him that uses strong drink and him that works in violence. And then the final woe, verse 18. Woe to the man. <laughs> this one's going to be a tough one. Woe to the man who worship, worships false idols. Woe to the man who worships false idols. Notice what it says in verse 18. It says, What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. <laughs> it's pretty blunt. Uh, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. This is a very blunt two verses. He basically says, listen, if you worship idols, you are doing something stupid because you're saying to a piece of wood, come arise up and deal with me. You're saying to a piece of stone, wake up, do this. 
And, and he's saying, you are worshiping something that is stupid to worship because it can't help you. Why? Because it's an idol. In his commentary, Warren Wearsby states this. He says, whatever people delight in other than God, whatever they are devoted to and sacrificed for, whatever they couldn't bear to be without, that is an idol. That is an idol. See, folks, we, we would look at most people around the world that, that bow down to graven images, and we're smart enough to say that's not going to help you a lot <laughs> because it's a piece of wood, it's a piece of stone. Oh, maybe it's overlaid with gold, maybe it's overlaid with silver, but it's not coming to life. You're pretty silly to wor- be worshiping that. We would, we would probably do that very quickly. But we're guilty of worshiping our 401K or the car that we drive or the house that we own, or the success of our children. Or you plug it in, folks. There's lots of things you could plug into that blank. What are the things that we worship that we should not be worshiping? Because remember, God's pronouncing these woes on the Babylonians, folks, but in that declarations that God's giving, there's something in there for all of us. So what is it that we're worshiping that we should not be worshiping? Psalm 115 speaks to this issue with the, with, the, with the images and things to worship. Psalm 115 and verse 1. It says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? I love this verse. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols, their idols are silver and gold and the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. See, the woe is pronounced. Woe to him that bows down and worships idols. That puts something in a place that only God should be in. And then these passages go on to show us just how foolish that absolutely is. Things that steal us away from worshiping God the things that steal the attention that belongs on God. That's why at the end of this passage in Psalm, it says, trust who? In the Lord. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. That's the same for us. So five woes. Habakkuk is finally finally getting a picture of, of what God is going to do in dealing with the Babylonians. But in the midst of those five woes, and dealing with all that negativity about what God is going to do to Babylon, in the middle of all that, 
there's three verses that give great assurance to Habakkuk. The first one we covered last week, verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. We covered that last week. The just shall live by his faith. What is, it, what is the faith? It's the faith in the grace of God that's given to us. It's, it's the fact that God gave us something we don't deserve and we can have faith in it and trust in it and trust in him. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. We can have faith and trust in the grace of God that bringeth salvation to us, folks. That's where our hope is. That's where our trust is. Ephesians 2 tells us, By grace are ye saved through faith. It's our faith. That's why he says the just shall live by his faith. And so in the middle of all this negativity about how God is going to deal with Babylon, he, he, God gives this verse to Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. And then slip down to verse 14, the second verse. Right in the middle of all these woes, it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow! Right in the middle of all these woes, he says, just like water covers the entire oceans, he says, God's glory fills this earth. Brett touched on this on Wednesday night. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day other speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language, or their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Is going for, I'm sorry, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I, I, I would break into song, folks, if I could sing, because you all know that song. More, more, to be, uh, more to be desired are they than gold, yet than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. What does he say? The heavens declare the glory of God. And then he talks about the sun coming out and heating up the earth and then going back away and then coming out like a bridegroom and heating the earth. He says the heavens declare the glory. Right in the middle of all this judgment of Babylon, he says to Habakkuk, the heavens declare the glory of God. He said you're looking for God's glory, Habakkuk. It's all around you. That's what he's saying. I love Psalm, Psalm 24. Oh, there's such great psalms. But Psalm 24, and starting in verse 7, it says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, 
and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The, law, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King, the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. When Jesus Christ returns, folks, his glory will be spread over the entire earth. That's what the book of Isaiah tells us. We don't have time to look at it today. But if you want to read it, go to Isaiah 11 and read in Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9, God's glory will cover this earth. So in the midst of all these woes against Babylon, he says to Habakkuk, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And then finally, number three today, verse 20. And this is the verse, folks, that we can grab hold to in difficult days. This is the verse that we can say, I don't know what's going on in this world. I don't understand it. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. Why? Because verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Folks, God is on his throne today. That's where he is. He is in his holy temple. He is on the throne. And he knows what's going on in this world. Isaiah 45. Let's just turn over there and we'll be done. Isaiah 45 in verse 5. It says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou, or thy work? Hath, he hath no hands. Woe unto him. See, folks, God is on the throne. God is in control. And we do not understand how God works. If you do, you can come see me after church, because I don't. I don't understand how God works sometimes. I don't know sometimes why bad things happen to good people. I don't know sometimes why good things happen to bad people. I don't know why evil goes unchecked so often. I don't understand it. I don't understand why a missionary that gives his life and goes to a foreign field dies of, a, of some disease before he's hardly gotten the work started. See, I don't understand that, folks. I don't understand those things. But I do understand that God is on the throne. And I do understand that I have to trust him and we'll end with this just in Job. We went through that whole study in the book of Job, but in Job 42, 
It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. See, folks, that's where we got to land. That's where we got to live. We got to understand that there are things that are going on in this world today that are too wonderful for us too spectacular, our minds can't wrap themselves around it because we don't get it. But we have to understand that we need to, like Job, be quiet. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. When the, when the children of Israel were backed up against the sea, what, what, did, what did Moses say to them? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's what he said. Folks, I don't know. I don't have the answers. You know, we, we get in discussions every week before church, you know, and, and a lot of times they end up in political discussions, but, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't. Politicians don't have the answers, folks. They don't. I guarantee you Washington doesn't have the answers. I can promise you, I don't care who's in charge. Washington doesn't have the answers. Because God is seated on his throne, and he's doing something so spectacular that even if we knew it, it would shock us. What is he doing? I have no idea. But I can guarantee you one thing. I know whatever he's doing is righteous and it's just. And I do know that just like the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, there's coming a day when the wicked in this world, will be dealt with. And there will be no turning back. Why do I know that? Because God promises us in his book. And his promises are true. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message. This is a, this is a power, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I sat here this week as I prepared this message. thinking This is a powerful chapter of scripture. I mean, there is so much in here. So much to think about, so much to ponder, to understand that God is ultimately going to deal with all this evil. It's going to get dealt with. If nothing else, it's going to get dealt with when Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. But God's going to deal with all the evil around us. But in the meantime, we can take comfort in the assurance of the Lord that God is in his holy temple. That will give us great encouragement as we go out today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask Judy to play through a verse of a song. The Lord's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just need to sit down and thank the Lord for who he is today. I don't know. We just wait a moment this morning.